The following audio is a sermon from the season of Advent. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord in the Old Testament from the book of Isaiah, beginning with chapter 35, verses 1 through 10. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals, where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way, even if they are fools, They shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Hear also the word of the Lord from the book of Psalms, chapter 146, Verses 5 through 10. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever, your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Hear now the word of the Lord in the New Testament from James 5, 7 through 11. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Hear also the word of the Lord from Matthew eleven, two through 11. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. 
and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Praise be to God. Father, we thank you. We thank you for for what you've done. Um, Even the, the Christmas hymns. As we sing them, there's something to celebrate this morning. There's something to celebrate at all times. And it's um, this time of the year we, we come together to remember the first coming of Jesus um, as he came as a lowly baby in a manger. Um, and and that, that little boy would grow up and he would um, grow in, in wisdom and, and in favor of men and he would... Um, serve uh, the people around him, and he would heal, and he would do magic, not magical, but, but just amazing things. He would perform miracles, and, um, and that same man lived the perfect life, and, and um, he was nailed to a cross for us, and, and that is why we are able to celebrate and, and rejoice in his coming, knowing that, that um, without Good Friday, there would be no reason to celebrate this Advent season. So, that's what we're here for. I pray that you would use me. Uh, I'm a, a weak man. I am uh, a fallible man. I'm not perfect. I am very aware of my weaknesses this morning, um, and, and we are not perfect listeners. So we need your help. Uh, I need your help speaking. We need your help to help us hear correctly, um, and that we would be able to bask and to marinate in the, in the truths of the gospel this morning. I ask that your spirit would use me. Um, use my tongue, speak through me, use my personality, um, and, and just use me to glorify Jesus this morning. Yes, this in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> it doesn't take long to realize that the Christmas season is upon us, right? Um, stores are crowded, mailman's bags are full, and they're running around like chickens with their head cut off. Uh, coffee shops are serving candy cane lattes. There are people wearing their ugly Christmas sweaters. Some bozos have decorated their cars to look like reindeer. Um, <clears throat> it's, it's starting to get cold. Um, the radio stations are playing favorite Christmas music as we are out on the go. It's meant to be a time of good cheer. It's, it's supposed to be a, a joyous time. And as the, the hymn sings, joy to the world, the Lord has come. But for me, I, I kind of have a hard time embracing the joyous spirit of Christmas. I mean, I, I love the Christmas hymns. I love, I love singing these songs. I love, I love the idea of being with friends and family. I love um, the idea of, of, of remembering Christ's first coming and, and and waiting expectantly for a second coming. I love those things. But for some reason, I just can't get pumped up about it. Part of it might be the season of the year. 
I'm not a huge fan of winter. The, the days get shorter, the air gets colder, and this awful thing called snow starts to fall. But there's also the, the financial strain of last-minute gift purchases. There's the, the idea of traveling long distances and unideal road conditions. But one of the primary reasons why I dislike, well, I don't know, it's just hard for me to get into Christmas, is that I've spent six or so years working retail. And I'm sure there's some of you who can relate to that. You know what it's like to be in in the lines and checking people out and helping people find the right thing. But one thing that I've noticed is that people this time of year seem to lose this thing of patience. And they become kind of drama queens and they get grumpy very quickly. And that was never really fun for me to to be on the other end of that. And I remember one night I was working and and my co-worker was helping a man find a toy that he was looking for. It was a very specific toy, a very specific color. And as they were looking, I, uh, uh, I realized that this man was becoming more aggravated and his voice started to raise as, as they went from row to row, aisle to aisle, trying to find the right toy. And, and, and my coworker turned to him and said, I'm sorry, sir, we, it doesn't seem as if we have this in stock. And that man, it's like his head exploded. This, this guy turned to her and started yelling at her, telling how she was worthless. And I was like, what the heck is wrong with this dude? And then he takes the toy he has in his hand, punts it across the store, and storms out. Like, what the heck? What is that? And on his way out, he walks by shelves and racks, and he's pulling stuff out and throwing it on the floor and just storms out. Like, where's the joy in that? <laughs> Seriously. But... As bad as customers were, there was one thing that I always found was worse. It was the ungodly amount of glitter that's everywhere. Seriously. I mean, weeks and weeks would go by after Christmas where I would be picking glitter off my clothes after they'd been through the wash like a hundred times. Like picking glitter out from underneath your fingernails, getting glitter out of your mouth. Like there's no joy in fishing glitter out of your mouth. It's not, there's no joy there. <clears throat> so I'm willing to bet that I'm not the only one that has a tough time finding this joyous spirit in Christmas. Uh, some of you might be able to relate to me to, to my petty, silly things, the weather and, you know, the hustle and bustle. But some of you have far greater reasons than I to, to make it difficult to find joy. Um, some of you might have a son or a daughter who's serving our country overseas and they're unable to come home. Some of you uh, are experiencing the, raising, the rising expectations and demands of work while you're, while you're feeling that same uh, heightened expectations and, of them and demands at home. Some of you see your decorating and putting out the Christmas lights as, as just one more thing on the already long to-do list. For some of you, <clears throat> times might be financially tough and, and, and you are unable to give and to bless those you love in the way that you want to, to bless them. And perhaps some of you have lost a loved one and their absence is more noticeable than ever. There's, there's definitely not a lack of reasons why it could be difficult to find joy in this season. But perhaps... You are fortunate enough to find joy in the season. Like, you, you might enjoy it. It might be one of the most favorite times of the year. 
If so, I'm, I'm happy for you. My friend Alec is a, a very large Christmas enthusiast. He, I think he starts listening to Christmas music uh, like December 26th is when he starts. So it's like literally a full, full year of Christmas. And if you're like that, I'm happy for you, but I'm also jealous, a little bit jealous. But <clears throat> you've probably realized that the joy that you experience isn't an endless well of joy. To maintain joy at an optimum level, you have to have multiple sources of joy. The, the, the candy canes, the, the Christmas trees, the greeting cards, the parties. All these things have to keep coming in to maintain your joy. The places that you find your joy, it just isn't sustainable. But before we go on, I think it would be helpful for today's purpose to establish a, a definition of the word joy. It's, it's one of those words that everyone kind of has an idea about what joy means. But when it comes to actually saying, well, this is the definition of joy, people kind of like hesitate a little bit. <clears throat> I, um, even as I was looking to find someone who's smarter than I am to, to use their definition of joy, I had a hard time of finding one that I thought like, this is really, this is really it. So I kind of came up with one of my own. It's kind of a hodgepodge of everybody, so I can't really take credit for it. But, but this is what I came up with. Joy, joy is the unshakable and rich nature of the heart that has experienced and celebrates the good news of the gospel. Let me unpack that. Unshakable. Joy is unshakable. It means that, that joy is not circumstantial. That no matter what situation you're in, joy is still, can still be found. Paul talks about being sorrowful but always rejoicing that even in the presence of sorrow and grief, there's still a joy. Rich, by rich I mean joy is something that, that there's an abundance of. There's lots of it. It's a, a never-ending well, really. <clears throat> and, and lastly, ultimate joy comes from knowing Jesus. I would say that, that without Jesus, you can't experience joy. You can't know what joy is. And after you experience Jesus, there's a celebration. There's a, a celebratory posture in your heart. So that's what joy is. Jo- what I'm using for the definition of joy is. Joy is the unshakable and rich nature of the heart that has experienced and celebrates the good news of gospel. You might be saying, Sam, I, I feel joy in other things. Like, you know, it's not just Jesus that I find joy in. And sure, like there are things that, that bring us a kind of joy. But nothing will bring us that joy that we experience with Jesus. You know, like, what I'm, that, that kind of joy, there is that kind of joy. Chiropractors get that kind of joy using their hands to work on someone's health. Artists get that kind of joy in sculpting or painting. The accountant somehow finds joy in working with numbers. Things we do can bring us a kind of joy, but the kind of joy that these things bring isn't entirely secure. Eventually, we'll get frustrated or bored with whatever seems to bring us joy. The artist will become frustrated when the clay won't fit in the right spot. The, the accountant will become frustrated when the numbers just don't add up. I, I find joy in working with my hands. And, and just this last week, I was working on a little project. Um, I like to sew. I like to sew. And I was... Uh, my wife and I were given this really ugly tree skirt to put around the bottom of our Christmas tree. 
and, um, and I just couldn't tolerate anymore, so I decided to make one. And this week I was working on the project, and things were going well. I mean, I, I like doing it. It's fun. Uh, and I was working on the project, and all of a sudden my machine started going berserk. Like, real berserk. Like, things, like it wasn't sewing. It was just putting holes in the, the fabric. Like, and, and I got really frustrated. I mean, I got really frustrated. I ended up punching the thing a few times, thinking that would work. But, but even, even the joy that working with my hands brings, like, it, it'll escape. Like, it'll always become frustrated when things don't go well. Some might say that things are, are capable of bringing us a kind of joy. But, but even the joy of the latest Apple product will only last until the next one comes out. The new Cadillac will only bring us the joy until next year's model comes out. The new puppy will only be a joy for the kids until they have to walk the thing and it starts pooping all over the toys. Like, joy will expire. The joy of things will expire. Relationships are even like this. The new girlfriend is great until you find that one annoying quirk about her. Your missional community is great until someone says something that offends you. Your kid is a great joy until they grow up and they start asking for money. You're probably saying, Sam, you're, you're, you're being kind of a fun sponge right now and sucking whatever joy I have out of me. And for that, I apologize. But I'm just trying to, to tell you and build a case that this endless supply of joy of what you're looking for is not produced in this world. There is a place, though, where this joy is endless, where we are eternally happy and celebrating will not cease. The questions that beg to be answered, though, are where is it and how do we get there? And today, I'm hoping to to take you on the path to show you the way to joy. Well, today's passage is from Isaiah chapter 35, and and we get a a glimpse of that place of joy as, as well as the way to get there. To use theological terms, the place of joy is called the new heaven and new earth or the new creation. This is the established and finished kingdom of God. To use language from Justin's sermon last week, this is what it will be like when everything is perfectly under Jesus' rule and reign. There will be nothing but the purest and most abundant joy. So go ahead and, and turn to Isaiah chapter 35. In your Bibles or in your apps, we've got the Sacred City app. And while you're, while you're turning there, I want to give you a little context of, of the prophet Isaiah. He's a prophet who lived after King David, but before Jesus was born. His ministry starts somewhere uh, around 740 B.C. Isaiah was a man God used to communicate to the Israelites, God's people. And his purpose was to declare the good news that God will glorify himself through the renewed and increased glory of his people, which will attract the nations. I, or Isaiah, if you go through the book of Isaiah, you'll see that there's a message of, of judgment and salvation. A message of judgment for those who rebel against God's way. And a message of salvation who put their faith in God and find their salvation in him. And we get a good view of this message today between chapters 34 and 35. 
These are two sides of the same coin, essentially. The message of judgment and the message of salvation. Chapter 34 is all about God's judgment and the effects that it will have on the people and of the land that, that disobey God. And chapter 35 is all about those who will find their salvation in God. We will briefly look at chapter 34 in a minute, but I want you to look with me in Isaiah 35 to see what the new creation will be like. But before I tell you about the new creation, I want to tell you what it won't be like. There's a lot of misconceptions in our culture about what heaven is like. Many people are bored by the idea of of floating around on clouds and playing harps all day. That doesn't seem very appealing. Or or even worse, people are uh, bored by an eternity-long worship service where we stand with our hands in our pockets looking at a screen, wondering when we can sit down because my feet hurt. Some people can barely stomach an hour a week of that, let alone eternity. Some people are like, I, I don't think I can take a place that's going to be boring and predictable. Like he- Heaven's just going to be boring and predictable the whole time. There's no excitement, there's no adventure, just pure boredom. Some people might think that um, there won't be any diversity. Everyone will essentially become the same person. A place where everything is painted white where there won't be any color. People have the tendency to think that heaven is a drab and boring place. And if that's what heaven's like, I don't think I really want to go there. I don't know about you. I'd rather be destroyed than spend eternity in in that boring place. But that is not what Isaiah says the new creation is like at all. Let's look at Isaiah in in chapter 35. Read with me, verse 1. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like a crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. Huh? The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord. The majesty of our God. Do you see that? The, the land will rejoice with joy and singing. That seems strange. The, the land, like the ground you stand on, will, will be glad. That sounds interesting. Check it out. It says, not only that, but it will rejoice with joy. Like, rejoice with joy. That Both root words are, are joy. Rejoice with joy. So, it, it might seem a little redundant, but it's just telling us that there's a whole lot of joy going on there. It's like saying that heaven is a joyful, joyous place of joy. Maybe, maybe it is a little redundant, but, but Isaiah is trying to communicate to us that this is a place of joy. Let's look at verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like the deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. There will be physical healing in the new creation. The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the lame will dance, the mute will sing. Uh, maybe none of you are deaf blind, lame, or mute, but I'm sure somebody's got to have a, a bum knee or a bad back or a kink in their neck or, or you've got a food allergy or diabetes or you've got something, some sort of physical annoyance that you are troubled with in this life, and that'll be gone. But not only will those be gone, but the fears of getting sick will be gone. My, my mother's wife passed away from colon cancer when my wife was a little girl. 
And so her dad was left to, to raise two young kids who needed a mother. And one of, one of my biggest fears is that I'm going to be left here on this earth without my wife. And, and we've got a baby boy on the way. And, and so I can't imagine trying to raise that boy on my own. So the thought of her getting sick and, coming, and having cancer, that, that scares me. It's a fear of mine. But the new creation has promised that, that I won't have to fear because there will no longer be sickness. Everything that brings death closer to us will be eliminated as well as death itself. Revelation 21 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. So there's, there's physical healing. Let's keep, keep reading there. It says, For the waters break forth in the wilderness. And streams in the desert, the burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. Even the problems with our environment will be fixed. The, the dwindling natural resources, the global warming, if that's even real. All the hot sand will become cool enough to walk on. There will be water where there needs to be water. There will be an abundant produce of food. There will be beautiful flowers, beautiful trees, beautiful vegetation all over. And keep in mind, this is the same ground that in its beauty, like so in its beauty, in its magnitude, in its abundance, this is the same ground that will be singing and rejoicing and being glad. This place sounds pretty dope. Like, I don't know about you, but I want to go there. Like, that sounds like a fantasy land. I bet it's 74 degrees there all day long. Never, never, never a day of snow. That's what I'm hoping for. And verse 10 tops it off by talking about the people in the new creation. It says, they will come with singing. And everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy. And sorrow and sign shall flee away. The NIV translation says that these people will be overtaken by joy and gladness. I kind of like that visual. I, I just think of getting like tackled. Like there's just, it just plows you over by joy and gladness. They'll be swept away in it. These people sound awesome. Like they sound great. No more, no more punting toys across the store. Just joy and gladness. I mean, I, I bet these guys are the best neighbors in the world, you know, party all the time. Things are great. Think of, of your family Christmas. There won't be that awkward family Christmas anymore. You'll enjoy your new family and the new creation. It'll be a blast to hang out with. Nothing in the new creation points to boredom and drudgery. Just joy and gladness. There's no more sickness, no sorrow, no grief, just joy. No evil, just righteousness. There's nothing lacking. There is always an abundance of everything good. There will not be blandness. There is much beauty there. The things we do will not lose joy. My sewing project will not become frustrated. All the relationships will be enjoyable. No more conflict between people. Just think of that place. Doesn't, doesn't that sound awesome? Like my, my soul craves that. But 
maybe, maybe I wouldn't be able to express that without the prep that I went through this week. But, but as I spent time in this, I realized my soul really craves that. Is yours? I'm, I'm willing to bet it does. It's a place where the deepest and truest joy is found. This is the place that our soul desires. This is the place that we were made for. But I want to draw a comparison now. Think of, keep that place in your mind, that, that perfect, beautiful, awesome, splendid place. And, and then now let's take a look at, at the world we live in. There's nothing in comparison that this world has to offer that isn't trumped in the new creation. Everything, everything in this world seems less desirable than everything in, in the new creation. In our world, there is death. It awaits all of us. And if you live long enough, the chances are you'll probably contract a disease or get cancer or get sick. There are thousands of people dying every day due to starvation and a lack of ba- basic necessities. There are people who, s- who suffer from mental hi- health issues. There are kids being bullied in our schools. There's corruption in our businesses and governments around the world. There are men and women being sold as sex slaves. The weak are being oppressed. There are children dying and babies being aborted. This, this isn't, this is not the world. This is not the way that God intended for us to live. This is not the world that we're longing to be a part of. There's just so much brokenness. And I was, as I was reading about the new creation this week, I stumbled across a passage in Isaiah 65. It says that in the new creation, no more shall there be an infant who lives but a few days. Yeah, I just thought, how good, how good that must sound to parents who have lost a child, whether they miscarried or if they lost a baby within the first months of their life. How good does that sound? RMC has been praying over the last couple of weeks for a family who, who recently laid down their one-month-old son in the grave. He... Um, he, he, didn't, he wasn't here for very long, but I can imagine the, the affection that those parents had for that child. And how, how sorrowful, how heavy their heart was when, when they said their goodbyes. Just imagine the tears that rolled off their cheek. Man, it crushes my heart. It's not, it's not what we were made to experience. There was a story in the, in the New York Times this week about a 17-year-old girl who got picked up for shoplifting. And when they searched her bag, they found a $50 pair of jeans that she stole, as well as her newly born child dead in her bag. A 17-year-old girl gave birth to her son and then killed him, and then she went to steal some jeans. What? Man, if that, if that doesn't put a wrench in your gut, I don't know what will. And as she stood before the district attorney, she was stone-faced without remorse. 
And the only charges she, she's currently facing are shoplifting. Shoplifting. Like, there's a dead baby, and they're more worried about a $50 pair of jeans. It's not supposed to happen. Like, it's not supposed to happen. That's, that's pure evil. And our world is filled with stories like this. Maybe not, maybe not in the same context, but, but to the same degree of evil. There are people being oppressed. There are people who are broken. And man, our world just isn't supposed to be like that. The path that this world on, if no one were to intervene, is headed straight for what Isaiah describes in chapter 34. A place of destruction and waste. Go go home and read Isaiah 35 and see if you can get pumped up about that. Like, nothing about that place sounds desirable at all. It's just bare, desolate, wasted. There's, There's nothing desirable in that place. But that's where this world is headed if nothing changes. Some of you might be saying, well, Sam, you're, you're being pretty dramatic here. There are some desirable things in this world that bring us joy. There, there has to be good, more good things in this world than there are bad. But let me ask you this. If you were, if you were parched, perhaps dehydrated, and I, I got for you a picture of the finest, most pure water that this world has to offer. And I just took a little bit of liquid cyanide, let's say a teaspoon or so, and I put a, that liquid cyanide in the, in the pitcher of water. Liquid cyanide is one of the most lethal poisons known to man. How bad would you really want to drink that pitcher of water? How bad would you want to take a sip of that? I mean, sure, the water's good, but the value of the water gets overturned when that poison enters into it. That poison water wouldn't do a very good job of satisfying your thirst, or at least not without killing you shortly after. What I'm saying here is that there are some things in this world that seem desirable, but they are all tainted by sin. And because they're tainted by sin, they're incapable of satisfying our deepest desires. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, said, If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. We were made for another world. This this world of sin-taintedness, just it can't satisfy us. And, and in the history of, of man, people have tried to escape this world. Like the Tower of Babel was constructed to, to get away from this world and get to where God is. Uh, the Shaker folks, the people who, who move away, they base their own society upon certain beliefs and a core, core doctrine of life. They try to do it. But all of man's plans to get to that place have failed. And it's not because sin is an out there thing. It's not because the effects of sin are, are out there with somebody else or with, with this part of the world. It's sin is an in here problem. Sin is something that affects all of us. 
just like that poison water, we're tainted. She says, Sam, I, I do good things. I, I volunteer. I give to the church. I, I say hi as people walk by. But as much as we try, our good deeds can never overturn our sin. It cannot outweigh the sin that's in us. The water in the pitcher can never overpower the poison. Once we have sinned, we are stuck with the effects of sin for life. And, and the Bible says that we were actually born sinners. So since birth, we have been struggling and wrestling with the effects of sin. Psalm 14 says that they, you and me, they have all turned aside. Aside from God, they've all turned aside. Together, they have become corrupt. There is none who does good. There is none who does good. Not even one. Because we are infected with sin, we are unfit for the place of joy that we're longing for. I mean, what good would it be if if there was this perfect place out there and everything was beautiful and tranquil and, and satisfying the deepest desires of man and you plopped a bunch of imperfect people in there. You threw a bunch of sinners in there. The perfect world would be destroyed in no time. We cannot become citizens of the new creation of this this perfect place that we long for because of our current sinful state. Something must be done to get us from here to there. That brings us to verse 4 in Isaiah 35. Take a look. It says, Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. So God is going to come and save us. That's how it's going to do. That's how, he's, that's how we're going to get from here to there. He's going to come and he's going to save us. We, we've tried. People have tried to save themselves and it, it never worked. It's, it's God who will have to come and save us. And look at verse 8. This is how he's going to do it. And a highway shall be there. And it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. Man, that's good news. If you're a fool and you're on the way, man, Jesus won't let go of you. The, no lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. God is going to save us on a highway called the way of holiness. Does this sound familiar to you? This, this idea of a way, of a, of a path, of a highway? Can you remember what Jesus said in, in John 14? He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. Man, this is, Jesus is the highway that Isaiah was talking about here in chapter 35. It was Jesus the whole time. That God, even, even when Isaiah, this is, I mean, we're talking 700 years before Jesus was born in a manger. Isaiah was telling people that there is one coming that is creating a way for us. And that man is Jesus. Jesus is the one who will make the way for us to move from this imperfect place, this world that we currently reside in, and take us to the perfect place that we desire to be 
in. He's the connector between the two worlds. But not only is Jesus the way, but he also makes it clear to us that he is the only way. He is the only way to the new creation. There's no other way to get there. You can't become a good enough person. You can't, you can't get there by, by finding another religion. You can't get there by obeying the law. You can't get there by ignoring the law. The only way to, the, to get to the place that our soul is craving, to get to the home of our deepest, most unrelenting joy, is through Jesus. So Jesus is the way that we will get to the new creation. But the second part of verse 8 makes you stop and think for a minute. It says, it says, the unclean shall not pass over it. The unclean shall not pass over it. We just, I, I, hope, I hope I've convinced you that, that we aren't clean. Like, we are the problem. This, this sin problem. That we're, we're not clean. We're not fit for this this highway that Jesus has made for us. Man, it kind of stinks if that's where the story ended. But that's not. Not only is Jesus the way to, to the new creation, but he's the one who purifies us to get onto the way. Jesus is the one who cleanses us. We are cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Jesus entered this world as a man. He came and he lived among us in a, a sin-ridden world. He felt the effects of sin. He knew what it was like to live in a place of sin. Yet he himself was never tainted by sin. He lived the perfect life. A life on this earth of deep joy. And then Jesus willingly gave up his joy, willingly gave it up, sacrificed it, and died a sinner's death. The death that you and I deserve. So that, so that we could be cleansed and experience the joy that Jesus had. Jesus cleanses us to be on this highway. That is good news, my friend. That, that new creation that's out there. It's, it's, ob, it's obtainable, but, but we can't do it. We, we can't do it. It's, it's only obtainable if we get on the path, on the way of holiness, and if Jesus cleanses us of our sin. Hebrews 12.2 says that, For the joy that was set before him... Jesus endured the cross. The joy that was set before Jesus was to see sinners like you and me cleansed and giving glory to God for his mighty work. For that joy, Jesus gave himself up. And that's, that's why there's so much joy in the new creation. It's, there's, not, there's not a ton of joy because things are perfect, like that's kind of a side effect. There, there's not a lot of joy because no one's going to be sick again or, or there's going to be plenty of, of food. The reason for joy is as verse 2 puts it. They shall see the glory of the Lord. 
They shall see the majesty of our God. That is the reason for our joy. It's, it's not the things that lie ahead for us. It's not, it's not the perfect world. It's the fact that God, who is in that perfect world, has brought us to himself. That's the source of our joy. So, how does this affect us? Like, if, if the perfect world is out there and we're here, how does this affect the way we're supposed to live now? John Stott said that the main mark of a justified believer is joy. Knowing that the joy of the new creation is ahead of us affects how we live right now. If we lack joy, it's a gospel issue. It means that we aren't correctly understanding what God has done for us. Don't hear me wrong. I'm not talking about a surface level joy, the kind where you put on a mask and pretend like everything is rainbows and roses. I'm not talking about a a joy that uh, gives you a warm, fuzzy feeling all the time and you just, you know, warmed up by it. I'm talking about a joy that sustains you in life's hardest times. In times of sorrow, in times of fear, in times of indifference, in times of doubt, in times of pain. Joy is the unshakable and rich nature of the heart that has experienced and celebrates the good news of the gospel. This is the kind of joy that enables parents to bury their one-month-old son while at the same time being able to say, God is good. This is the kind of joy that in the midst of your financial struggles, you are able to rejoice in the eternal provisions that God has made for you. This is the kind of joy that's produced when one believes that Christ's work has secured their eternity in the realms of joy. This, this kind of joy only comes from knowing what lies ahead in the new creation. If you believe the good news of the gospel and are experienced the work of the Holy Spirit through repentance and faith, then you will be a joyful person. If you believe the gospel, then joy is inevitable. Knowing that joy of the new creation is ahead of us affects how we live now. We don't don't give up on this world and and wash our hands of it. We don't twiddle our thumbs and, and wait for Jesus to come. The good news of the gospel calls us to respond in a way that represents what lies ahead. And although we cannot completely redeem this world, We can show this sin-ridden world what it will look like when we live in a redeemed world. Let me ask you, is your life marked by this kind of joy? Do you have this kind of joy? Man, that question punched me right in the face this week. Going into this, I was probably the, the most joyless person in this city. Do people know you as a joyful person? Are you living in light of the reality that the new creation awaits due to Christ's suffering on your behalf? Man. My answer to that question was no. <clears throat> Man, no. I, was, I wasn't living a life of joy 
Man, I'm still struggling to live a life of joy. Even standing up in front of you here talking about joy, I feel unfit to be behind this, this podium. But God has shown me a lot of grace this week that as I was wrestling with it, as I was wrestling with the question that if, if I really believe the gospel, sh- shouldn't I look like a joyful person? And the only way, the only way to find that joy, you can't muster that up inside of you. You can't, you can't say, all right, today I'm going to be joyful. This joy is external. It comes from outside of us. And the only way to find that joy is to, to bask in the truth of the gospel, to, to put yourself under the word, to know that Jesus came. There's a real thing. Jesus came and he forfeited joy so that I could experience the deepest and truest joy. That's the only way you're going to find it. But just imagine that if we could believe this joy, if we, if we could uh, have this joy, what would it look like? What would, what would your life look like? How would you steward your things? Well, you'd probably joyfully give some of it away because Jesus has joyfully given you more than you can imagine. How would you act in the checkout line that is taking what seems like forever? Well, you would, you would be joyfully patient because, because God is joyfully patient with you. How would you respond to tragedy and sorrow, tough times? Well, you would grieve appropriately. Don't get me wrong. You would grieve appropriately, but... But you would not be driven into despair. You wouldn't be driven into despair because you know that Jesus has made the way to the new creation where there will be one day no more tears. There will only be joy. How would you respond to to tough financial times? You would trust that God will provide because he has provided and secured for you eternal life in this land of joyous happiness. How would you parent your children? Well, you would have family worship time on a regular basis so your kids would come to know the joy that's in you. How do you work? You would joyfully do the tasks that seem beneath you because Jesus joyfully went to the cross to do the work that was beneath him. How would you live joyfully in your missional community? Well, one way you might, you might stick around afterwards and, and joyfully clean up because Jesus has joyfully cleaned up your sin and mess. How would you live a joyful life in your neighborhood? Well, you probably have a lot of parties. Lots of parties. Joyous people have big parties. What kind of impression of joy do you think that would leave on your non-believing neighbors and friends? I bet they'd be blown away by it. To see this much joy coming out of a person who, who seems to have such a normal life. Like, you know, if someone were to look at me and, you know, let's, let's pretend that I'm the most joyful Christian in the world or whatever. And someone looks at me and sees it. I mean, I don't really have a great reason to be super joyful. Like, times are still tough. I still, I still struggle. I, I don't have it all figured out. But there's still a joy that comes. Mother Teresa said that joy is a net of love in which you can catch souls. Imagine having the kind of joy that draws your friends and family toward Jesus. Yeah, that's, 
That's really what God wants to see. His people responding appropriately to the gospel with, with joy so others can be attracted to this message of good news. Now, imagine if, if we all, all of us corporately, lived as a community of that kind of joy. Think of the impact that we would make as a church. Imagine the kind of joy that would be spreading into our neighborhoods. It would be infectious. Imagine that if our city was filled with people who had a deep, deep joy in Jesus. A place that is overcome with joy and gladness. All because of what Jesus did. Can you imagine that? Doesn't that sound nice? Almost, almost like a little bit of, of the new creation here on earth. And that's what God wants his people to look like. To close, I, I want to share a, a Puritan prayer from you that, that also smashed my face in at one point this week. I thought it was good. And Puritan prayers are, this is from the Valley Vision. It's a collection of Puritan prayers and devotionals of if you don't have this, I highly recommend grabbing it. Uh, I don't know if it's at the bookstore, but you can get it on Amazon or wherever. But um, I'm going to read this Puritan prayer to close because Puritans can pray better than I know how to pray. So would you, would you pray with me? <clears throat> o Christ, all thy ways of mercy tend to an end in my delight. Thou didst weep sorrow and suffer that I might rejoice. For my joy thou hast seen the Comforter, multiply thy promises, shown me my future happiness, giving me a living fountain. Thou art preparing joy for me and me for joy. I pray for joy, wait for joy, long for joy. Give me more than I can hold, desire, or think of. Measure to me my times and degrees of joy at my work, business, duties. If I weep at night, give me joy in the morning. Let me rest in the thought of thy love, pardon for sin, my title to heaven, my future unspotted state. I am an unworthy recipient of thy grace. I often disteem thy blood and slight thy love but can in repentance draw water from the wells of thy joyous forgiveness. Let my heart leap toward the eternal Sabbath, where the work of redemption, sanctification, preservation, glorification is finished and perfected forever. Where thou wilt rejoice over me with joy. There is no joy like the joy of heaven. For in it, that state, are no sad division unchristian quarrels, contentions, evil designs, weariness, hunger, cold, sadness, sin, suffering, persecution, toils of duty. O healthful place where none are sick. O happy land where all are kings. O holy assembly where all are priests. How free a state where none are servants except to thee. Bring me speedily to the land of joy.